All right, would you pray for us? Father, I thank you for today. I thank you, God, that your promises are true and that your word is yes and amen, Father, and that you are truly the ancient of days, Lord. I thank you, Father, for the freedom that we have to come together and to worship you in spirit and in truth. I pray, Father, that we would come focused and fixed with our eyes and our hearts ready to receive God, and I thank you, Father, that your word, Father, penetrates and that we would leave, Father, different than when we came in. Spurred on, Father, to move in obedience. In Jesus' name.
you for that truth, Lord. You are holy, God. Father, there's none like you, Lord. We thank you, God, for the opportunity to open your word, Lord, this morning. And, Father, just to be encouraged. Pray, God, that we would, as your word declares, not grow weary in doing good. For in the right time, Father, we will reap a harvest. Do not give up. So may we be a persevering people. People that, whose eyes are fixed upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Thank you, Father, that your word declares that our hope in Christ will never disappoint us. So may we be a people today of hope. Hope in Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, or verse for the year. For the kingdom of God is just not a lot of talk, but it's living by God's power. For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, but it's living by God's power. Now, next week we're going to pick back up and walking through um, the scriptures. And next week we transition into the book of Numbers. So if you haven't already started studying or reading through commentaries on the book of Numbers, I would encourage you to you have yet another week to begin that study. But I want to go today to Matthew chapter 22. We're going to walk through a lot of scripture this morning as usual. But Matthew chapter 22 verse 34 through 38. Matthew 22, verse 34 through 38, the greatest commandment. And so if you need a title for today's message, it's this. To know him is to love him. To know him is to love him. And look at these words from Jesus today. Chapter 22 of Matthew, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply... They met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Don't miss this. They were trying to trap Jesus. Don't forget the Pharisees and the Sadducees were the religious elite of their day. On the outward, signs of everything, they looked like they had it all together. They looked like they knew God. <laughs> and you've always heard me say, if you've been around here long enough, it's so sad that they had a knowledge of God, but they didn't know God. They puffed themselves up in the knowledge of God, but they were so far away from God. But yet, just as they were in their days, so we have the people in our days. 
and the days to come, leading up until the return of our Lord and Savior. People in the church who have a knowledge of God, but they don't know God. They have a knowledge. They can tell you, they can probably quote scripture. They can probably stand and pray an eloquent prayer. They can probably get lost in worship and get emotional. <laughs> they have a knowledge of God, but they don't know God. And I've been thinking and, and meditating as we've been collecting for the persecuted church this month, and I've just been reading different testimonies of just what Christians are going through around the world. And I just go, oh God, do we in the West get it? Do we in the West truly understand what it means to be a Christian. And I've been reminded of, and, and months ago I read this testimony of this Muslim couple who, who gave their life to Christ. They became Christians. They began churches in, in this Muslim nation. They knew that each day, they knew coming to Christ what it meant. They understood the cost. It cost them everything. They knew, if you remember me reading this story to you, they knew that every morning when they separated, they went their way, they didn't know if they were going to see each other again. They didn't know if they were going to be beheaded, beaten, raped, tortured. They didn't know. They, they, they understood the cost of bearing Christ. And then they have an opportunity to come to America to go to seminary and remember they moved here and it was just in a few months or so that the wife begged her husband we gotta leave this place we gotta go back and in, in, in this story and when I read it it was like well you know here they are they're in a free country where they can worship God they can get grounded and rooted deeper in Christ. And yet she was pleading for her husband to go back to a place that was closed off to Christians, closed off to Christ. And you say, woman, why would you want to go back? You have an opportunity to be safe. But do you remember what she said to her husband? She said she had that dream. She had that vision. She said there's a satanic lullaby happening in the West. And if we stay here, we'll fall asleep. We will lose our zeal for God. And remember that day when I read it? I was singing, go to sleep, go to sleep. Just Carry on about your day and your life. Just get caught up in your circumstances. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. Keep allowing sin to master you. Keep having a knowledge of God, but not loving Him. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. Keep claiming His name and trampling his blood as if it's nothing because your life hasn't changed. Go to sleep, go to sleep. Look, we have to wake up that the enemy's purpose that the Bible says is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. We are in a war. But how many of us got up this morning 
And before your feet hit that ground, put on your armor. <laughs> How many of you recognize, wait a minute, I'm getting up yet another, a, another day. You've given me yet another day to know you, to abide in you, to remain in you. I recognize that I am behind enemy lines, that everything that is out before me is out to get me. <laughs> but I don't have to be afraid of it. Because if I'm in Christ, I've already had the victory over it. So did you, did you, was your mindset in, in a place of victory today? Like you, if you're calling yourself a Christian, you possess the good news of Jesus. And he is not loved or accepted by this world. They may talk about him. They may say he's a good man. They may say this and they may say that. But just because they have a knowledge of God doesn't make them a Christian. Jesus says the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with your whole being. And in and of yourself, you wouldn't come to that. See, we were all born in the flesh. And a nature that is in rebellious rebellion towards God. We throw up our fist and say, you're not God. <laughs> but God so loved the world <laughs> that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But God laid his life down for you. He took our punishment. He endured the wrath so that we wouldn't have to. And so as Christians, we don't live in fear of his wrath because we've been embraced by his love. And so that awakens us and gives us a fresh and a new joy and hope each and every single day to live upright in a crooked world. To tell others about the love of God. To know Him is to love Him. The Bible says He first loved us. He first loved us. And it's His desire, as I said earlier, that none shall perish. So what are we doing today? What are we doing today? Either we're being lulled to sleep... Or we're fanning the flames of holiness, of righteousness, of seeking Him, and that He may. And then the Bible says that He will be found if we seek Him with our whole heart. The Bible says, "Seek Him while He may be found." The Bible tells us as Christians that we are to work as long as it's daylight, because there's a time of coming darkness. When I think of the young man that we heard about on Friday night, he was a Muslim. <laughs> he came to Christ. And I can't get the image out of my head. The father, his, his earthly father, beat him constantly with his fist in hopes that he would renounce Jesus. His mother 
turned her back on him, wanted nothing to do with him. Usually in a Muslim culture, in a Muslim family, they put you out if they don't kill you. But they allowed this young man to stay, but every day he had to endure the beatings, the shame for being a Christian. And our young people today barely name the name. Or if they do, their walk doesn't claim his victory. They wouldn't even endure a beating for Jesus. They, because they won't even stand up for Jesus because they don't want to be picked on. What are we raising? Who are we raising up? This young boy had no church, came to Christ, endured the beatings, endured the shame. And do you remember what the missionary said? As the years and the time progressed, by the time that this missionary came and met this young man, his mother was a Christian. His father became a Christian. His family became a Christian. And remember what the man said? He said, the very hands that used to beat his son are now hands that are raised to the living Christ. Oh, do you know him today? To know him is to love him. You see, before we come to Christ, we're in total darkness, total rebellion. You can only speak for yourself. Your testimony of where, who you were, where you were before Christ. I know where I was. I hated him. I hated Christians. I mocked them. I went so far from God. Until he spoke to me. In one of the darkest hours of my life. And said, today you live to feel his love, to feel his embrace after being told the majority of my life that he hated me. That he hated me. It was in that moment that his love embraced me. It is in that moment that his love embraces you. And nothing can compare to it. Nothing can compare to it. It radically transforms you. It leads you to repentance. You see him as he is and you accept him as he is. You don't try to strip him down. You don't try to make him the God that you want him to be. No, when you truly love him, you see him for who he is. And it humbles you like, oh God... And you can't help but as you're receiving to pour back on him, to love him. Because in an instant you realize the wrath that you've been spared. And you go, oh God, I'm yours. And we've been talking a lot lately about what the Bible says. That confession and that belief that confession and that belief that He is the Son of God and that He rose from the dead on the third day. 
You're saved. If that is your confession and that is your belief, you have been transformed, Jesus says. You you are born again of a new nature, a nature now that is in right relationship with God because of all that Christ has done. Not because of how good you are. No, but because of what Christ has done. And when we truly grasp it, that it has nothing to do with us, but it has all to do with him, then we can understand when he looks at us and says, come and follow me. <laughs> your life is no longer your own. Now you have been engrafted into my kingdom. Now your eyes are open to the understanding of God's purpose from the beginning of time. To have a people that he will call his own and in return they will call him their God. That they would live for him. Are you living for him? That they will walk with him. That they will not only have a knowledge of him but that they would know him. And to know him is to love him. And to learn of him every day. That sin is no longer your master. Christ is your master. And you don't have to be bound by shame and guilt or condemnation any longer. And you're not striving to be the good Christian, the perfect Christian, in and of your own self. No, each day you're getting up and you're persevering. Because he's creating us to be more and more Christ-like. So we don't excuse our sin... We just don't let our bad attitudes go by and not deal with them. We don't let words come out of our mouth that shouldn't be coming out of our mouth and not, and not do something with them. We shouldn't allow thoughts just to overwhelm us because the Bible says we're to take every thought captive. And bring it to the obedience of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, this, see what's happened in the West is that the Christian life is as if we're, we're told about it, but then it's almost like we're told, but it's not obtainable. Like God's grace gives us the license to keep sinning. But that's a lie. God's grace is the power to transform us. So that we will not continue to sin. (laughs) Like he's all powerful. He takes that which was dark and light. That which was wicked, righteous. Not for anyone to point to you. But for everyone to see him in you. And you pointing to him. Oh, it's not me. I can tell you where I would be if I was in control. But I've surrendered my life. That ought to be your testimony. That ought to be your testimony. Go to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verse 46 through 49. Jesus' words. Luke chapter 6, verse 46 through 49. Jesus' words. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? 
I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. Everyone hear that? Jesus' words. (laughs) Why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord? Why do you keep saying you belong to me (laughs) when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the flood waters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. Into a heap of ruins. Listen, Jesus tells his followers... In this world, you will have trouble. Trials will happen, but they're there to produce something within you. Perseverance. And perseverance will lead you to to building your character. And from there, it'll establish hope in your heart. That hope is not that your circumstances will change. That hope is in Jesus. Your hope in Jesus will never disappoint you. In this world, you will have trouble. But Jesus says, be of good cheer. I've already overcame the world. Oh, that we would mature to that level. It's so easy for us to give up and give in. When the pressures of life hit us, swallow us up. (laughs) But we must remember that we are in Christ. Our identity is no longer in the world. We're in Christ and we're looking up to the day of our redemption. He is returning and so we're not to be living our lives. We're to be about our Father's business, advancing His kingdom. How on earth we got trapped into church services that make it all about us. That make it all about us. The flock wants to be entertained. The flock is leading the shepherds. And that's not how it's to be done. The shepherds lead the flock. And we have one great shepherd, Jesus. He didn't come to entertain. He came to establish his kingdom. He came to set the captives free. Like this world is not our own. We're only here for a a moment of time. (laughs) And then we're with him for eternity. If we're in Christ. And I keep telling you all, that's why it's so vital that you care about people's eternity more than their temporalness of life. It is not easy. It is not easy. And I've been honest with you all. It's, it can be very discouraging. 
And it's so easy for me, and I could only again talk about me. You, you talk about what troubles you. But discouragement, pouring in and 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 pouring in. <laughs> and the majority keep going their way. They want Jesus when life is hard. But they don't want Jesus when you're holding them accountable. They want to run the flock. And you go, what? Like, see, either you're building on solid rock, which is Christ, or you have no foundation at all. And when the storms of life come, and trust me, they are coming if you haven't experienced them. <laughs> or if you're experiencing them and your foundation is wasting away and you're getting caught up in the chaos of it all, you better recognize, oh, wait a minute, <laughs> that's not how I'm to be. Why am I this way? Like there's a better way. And his name is Jesus. And he says, he will show me that ones that come to him, ones that listen to his teachings, and ones that obey it will be standing firm when the floods come. Trust me. He is faithful, you all. Just at the moment of time that I may feel that discouragement or that, oh, or God, what, another this, another that. He reminds me how great he is. And I go, oh God, how awesome you are. No matter the diagnosis, no matter the situation, no matter this, no matter that, no matter what, God, it's you, God, you are awesome. And you encourage yourself. Trust me, remember you have an enemy. You are behind enemy lines. And he's not taking a nap. But remember, greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. We cannot keep allowing the enemy be greater than our God. We can't. And you say, well, I don't know if I'd do that. But do you talk more about your problems than your God? Because if you're talking more about your problems, if you're talking more about this and this and that and this and that, you are exalting the enemy as, 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 as if he has the upper hand. Oh, we must learn how to fight, how to push back, how to advance ground. When you think of Paul, he, he, he was once a murderer. He hated Christ. He hated Christians. Jesus reveals himself to him. Paul accepts Christ as Lord. His life is radically changed. He now goes forth and declares Jesus. And they beat him to the point of death. They drag him out of the city and throw him out. Do you remember what Paul did? 
he got right back up. <laughs> and I told you all along, the Bible doesn't say that God healed Paul. He was beaten. He was battered. He was left for dead. In our flesh, we would say, Paul, oh, hey dude, come back. Come take it easy. Come back home and rest. Recover. Like, are you sure you heard right from God? We would want to make it easy for him. But Paul knew something greater was at work there. And he got up and he went back into the city to declare Jesus as Lord. Come on. And so we don't hold up these other Christians way up here because Paul was just an ordinary man. As you and me. All throughout the generation, Jesus, God has raised up men and women all throughout generations to live upright for him. That's what we're reading as we're walking through the Bible. We're just a part of that history, that rich history of those who belong to God. And we ought to live as such. We can't say we belong to him and live like the devil. There's a lot of people thinking that they're heading into heaven. And if God let them in, he would have to let Satan in. Remember what Jesus tells the religious people of his day. Your father is the devil. Listen, they knew scripture. They knew of God. They practiced. They went to the temple. They did their things. And yet Jesus says to them, your father is the devil. Oh, that we would wake up. Oh, that we would wake up and understand the love of God provides the means of salvation to be reconciled to God, to live for God. That's how we're to live now. Go to Luke chapter 14, verse 25 through 35. Luke chapter 14, verse 25 through 35. The cost of being a disciple. Again, Jesus' words. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? 
Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of the money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him. And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss the terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become a disciple without giving up everything you own. You see, salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor the manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. These are Jesus' words. And yet we make Jesus out to be this weird guru. (laughs) As we've heard before, who just passes out hugs and muffins. Everyone come. Everyone. 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 Come follow me. Enjoy. Enjoy. Eat. Drink. Be merry. Live however you want. Do we forget what he endured for us? How can we make mockery of his crucifixion? How can we just trample in his blood and make it common as if it means nothing? Like if we're truly believers. If we're not, then so be it. You see, not everyone is going to be a believer. And they have a right to live however they want. You have a right to live however you want. You have a right. But you do not have a right to continue to call yourself a Christian and then mock God by the way you live. See, within the church, we're to hold each other accountable. It's vital. We are to hold each other accountable to the standard, not that man has placed on the church, but what God places on the church. We are his people. We don't just tolerate foolishness and just go, okay, hush, hush. Let's not say anything because we don't want to offend anybody. Let's not, oh, no, no, shh, just, ah. Uh-huh. Or we talk behind everyone's back, but we're afraid to approach the situation to the person. How crazy is that? Jesus himself, he had a multitude of people following him. I mean, by the natural eyes, by the flesh, wow, his ministry was phenomenal. The natural man would tell Jesus, after hearing what Jesus said, what are you doing? You're going to turn people away from you. Your ministry is going to fade. No, 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 no. Go back, go back and tell them, no, everyone's welcome. Don't make it like this. You, you put too much. You, too many people are going to turn away from this. Listen to what he says here. He knows the condition of mankind. But he came to set the captives free. And he says, listen, if you're going to follow me, Understand where we're going. (laughs) Because this earth is not your home. And if you cling to more, to, to the things of this earth, to the relationships on this earth, 
more than you do me, you can't follow me. You see, he understands this. He understands it would be your desire to to love others more than you love him. To to want to cling to the earthly things more than you want to cling to him. So he allows you to understand this. Like, if that's what you want, you, you can't follow me. You see, because when you stand before him, remember what I keep encouraging us, he is a just God. God is never stiffing his arms out, keeping you at bay. No, his arms are fully wide open to receive those that who would turn to him. But on the day of judgment, on the day that we will stand before him, you will give an account for how you live your life. You either chose him or you chose them. Your choice. He loves us enough to say, whatever you decide. (laughs) But I love you enough to reveal yourself, myself to you. What are you going to do with me? Are you going to follow me? And then I love the next layer he adds on to it. Oh, oh, before you do, (laughs) consider the cost. Consider the cost. Because it's going to cost you everything. Well, you can't be like someone who's going to build a building and then run out of supplies. People are going to look at that and laugh at you. Ha ha ha, look at this. You can't say you're my follower. Follow me for just a season. Start building a foundation. And then all of a sudden something else looks better over here. So then you just choose to go back. And they're going to laugh at you. I thought you were a Christian. Ha 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 ha. Look at you. What happened to Jesus? Ha 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 ha. You see, people start mocking. People start laughing. We all know people who've sat in church. And now they got one foot in and one foot out. One foot in and one foot out. And people see that. And they go, something's wrong with that. That's not how it's supposed to be. See, when you're a Christian, your life changes. You consider the cost. You just don't come, okay, yeah, I'll follow you. Like flip it, yeah, yeah, I'll follow you today. No, it is a decision that you need to consider the cost. That's why trying to Force people to pray a sinner's prayer is ludicrous. They need to consider the cost. I told you about that one evangelist. When he held his revivals, he would get up and and he would call an altar call and that the crowds would be rushing down to it. And then he would say, everyone, go back. He didn't want them stirred up in the flesh the second night, the third night. And then finally he discerned those at the altar were those who have considered the cost. We're just not peddling the word of God just for a feel-good message. No, we understand what we are sharing with people. Like your life is going to be impacted for the better, but you're going to feel uncomfortable while the earth 
and the temporal things of life keep trying to snatch you back. But you keep moving forward. You keep moving forward. There is such a reward to live in Christ. And the Christian life is not this humdrum, boring life. Now I'm a Christian. I can't have fun. Blah, 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 blah. And we look like we're miserable people. No! We have the good news. Where we are in Christ. Our Savior. Our Lord. We've considered the cost. What is there to be downcast about? It doesn't mean that you won't experience seasons of being downcast. It doesn't mean you won't experience seasons of trials. But when you're experiencing, you're still getting up. (laughs) And you're still moving forward. Listen to how Jesus speaks you all. He's very serious about those who would call upon his name. And how they are to be living. Go to Luke 9, verse 23 through 26. Again, Jesus is speaking to the crowd. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will gain it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you are yourself lost or destroyed? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory, in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. This is Jesus again, you all. To know him is to love him. (laughs) It's not to know him and then reject him. No. Oh, that we would see it. That we would respond to Jesus. That we would share this with others. We've got to stop giving down this weird watered down gospel in which we are told that in the last days, right up before he returns, all hell is going to throw everything at the church. But oh, we must remember the good news. Jesus says that he will build his church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. It will try its hardest to silence the bride of Christ. And boy, Friday night, if you haven't listened to the message I posted on Friday night, you need to go listen to it. It's like 23 minutes, 25 minutes long. It's worth it. Remember that missionary? He says when when persecution's happening, you know, when people are enduring that type of level of persecution, that it's easy to look and say, Look, we're being defeated. Oh, but no, 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 no. No, actually, we're conquering. In the natural mind, it doesn't make sense. But in the spiritual reality, it makes perfect sense. Because when has the church flourished? It's in times of persecution. 
It's in times of when her identity is being challenged by hell itself and by the world. And we're living at a greater level of persecution in this earth than we've ever seen before. Not just overseas, but even here. Look what's happening to the Christian faith. People who are truly upholding the, the true faith of the Christian, of Christianity in America, in the West. They're being told that, that they hate people. They're being told that they're the reason that people are committing suicide. They're being told that, that they're the ones stirring up all of this craziness. And their businesses are being targeted. Their names and information are being released. On my desk, daily I'm receiving letters from these organizations that hate ministries and hate Christians. Saying that we are naming you all. And we're naming your affiliates. And we're naming your staff. And we're letting people know the hate that you're spewing. Welcome to America. And we just want to play church. We want to say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian and live however you want. But what are you going to do when you say you're a Christian and someone turns at you and says, oh, so what do you believe? And the moment that you uphold truth, you better hope you're rooted in Christ so that you're not shaken because they're going to challenge you. And it's not you that they're challenging. <laughs> it's Christ. Are you prepared to stay? That's my concern. You say, why are you sharing this today? Because I'm so burdened that I don't know if the church in the West is being rooted. Like, are we ready to stand for Christ? I mean, when I have to have conversations with Gilda, my wife, and say, baby, you know, listen, <laughs> right now, you know, we have a position, you know, this and this and that, this is this and this and that, but there's, there's a time coming <laughs> where we may not have this position, <laughs> where the preaching and, and the teaching that Christ has called me to <laughs> may throw me in jail, <laughs> like, do... To have this conversation, who would have thunk it? But that's the reality. And you say, well, no, that's extreme. No, it's not. Just my very testimony alone, if I shared it, especially if I lived in California, I could get arrested. These are the laws that are being passed in our nation. And I don't want to just have a, listen, I've had opportunities to join staff at, at actual, you know, buildings, churches, denominations. <laughs> but God has always called me to this, to be on the outside, to proclaim the goodness of the Lord in the year of his favor, to see captives set free in a setting that's different than the norm. Because he's preparing us. Because sooner or later, the denominations and, and the, the churches that are out there, they're either going to stand for God or they're going to become government institutions. And you say, no, that's extreme. Open your eyes. Look what's happening. 
See, years ago when you could be like, oh, okay, that's so far away. Oh, you know, oh, you just laugh at it. Oh, those people are nuts. Oh, do you see the world you're living in? Everything is turned upside down. And I've been warning you all, as perversions running amok, wherever you see the occult, wherever you see, you know, uh, the occult rising up, perversion rises up right behind it. It's how the enemy works. And you see what's happening to the generation of youth where they're so confused and a lot of them are being brought into this world and they're told they don't even have a gender. Where kindergartens are now being placed on, 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 on drugs to alter their bodies. Where pedophilia is rising up. And where's the church? Where are the thousands of Christians in our nation who go to church every Sunday, will go to every conference there is, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, I need a blessing, I need a blessing, I need a blessing. <laughs> and our nation looks the way it does. And the world looks at America and says, that's a Christian nation. What kind of craziness is this? That's why I just can't sit back with you all or with anyone that I minister to or have an opportunity to speak with and give you down a watered-down gospel. Just pat you on your back and send you on your way with Jesus. That's not what Jesus did. That's not what Jesus did. Like, this is reality. This is real. Like I keep telling you, it's, it's like living in those weird Christian movies. If you never left, read Left Behind or watched the movies, like you watch them, you go, oh, that's funny. Oh, that, oh wow, that's scary. Ooh. Oh, my goodness. It's like you wake up one day and you're like, oh, my God. Like, people really believe this? Like, there's such a level of deception. And we want to wake up every morning bound to our emotions and our problems and this and that blah, blah, and overreact and blah. what are we doing? You better get up every morning and hell itself better shriek back because you got up. You better walk in the authority and in the anointing that Christ has placed on your life. You better be praying for your kids. You better be praying for your grandkids. You better be praying for your family. You better be praying for your neighbors. You better uphold truth. And if you have a brother or a sister in Christ living like they're not in Christ, you better be telling them. Hold them accountable. Are you willing to put yourself in front of the wolves before they devour them? <laughs> or are you just going along with them? Ha ah, oh. Like my favorite phrase, shucking and jiving with them. Feeding them the filth of this world. And for what? I told you all, I can't say it enough. It's too late when they're in the grave. It's too late when they're laying in the coffin. 
And we want to sob and cry then. We want to pretend they're in heaven. Oh, bless God. Bless God. Bless God. (laughs) And everyone knew how they lived. And you say, oh, but Rob, you can't judge. No, 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 no. (laughs) Don't, remember what I've always told you. Don't let the devil teach you your theology. Yes. Can there be deathbed conversions? Yes. But are you really going to hold out in hopes? There's nothing guaranteed. And a lot of people live with some weird comfort. Well, they gave their life to They took the life. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah. Yes. Can it happen? Yeah, it happened for the thief on the cross. But look what Jesus is saying He doesn't hold that up the majority of the times that he's speaking. So I don't take it away that it can't happen. Oh, it can happen. But you're in their lives for a reason, especially if you're calling yourself a Christian. You're in their lives for a reason. Be the light. Be the light. Oh, they will hate you. They will want to beat you. You know, Norma wanted to kill me. <laughs> but look at her now. Loving Lord with all of her heart. Years ago, I tell everyone, go to your bedroom. Norma's on her way over. And I knew the intent of what she wanted that night. The Holy Spirit already convicted me, showed me. I hadn't seen her for years, or for months, or for a time period. And she came up here, and we sat, and we were talking. The Holy Spirit said, get on the floor and expose her. Who can do that? That's not me. That's not her. That's two forces colliding. But what did I always tell Norma? Love wins. Love wins. Take my life. Do whatever. Love wins. Like, are we ready to stand, you all? Are you ready to declare that to your loved ones? Like love wins. Look, look at the love one. <laughs> and now it's multiplying throughout the earth. She's going all throughout the earth. Declaring love wins. <laughs> love wins. It could have been easy just to pat her on her back and just say, oh, Norma. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and treat her with kid gloves. People don't need you to treat them with kid gloves. They need the reality of heaven. They need the reality of Christ presented to them. You choose. Look what how do you if you're gonna follow me, choose. You must pick up your cross 
You must deny yourself daily and you must follow me. And that's a life of discipleship, you all. You just don't pray a little prayer and then live however you want. You need to be discipled. I keep encouraging you throughout this year because of that one verse that we have. The kingdom of God is just not a lot of talk, but it's living by God's power. If you're doing a lot of talk, but you see no transformation in your life, I must give you a warning. You're not in Christ. You have a form of religion, and you're denying the power of God, and the Word of God says then we have to stay away from you. The Bible doesn't tell us to stay away from the lost. Scripture tells us to stay away from those who have a form of godliness but deny the power of God because they're making a mockery of Christ. And we can't be linked arm in arm with them skipping down the yellow brick road. No, we had to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. What do we know? No, no. I'm not going that direction with you. <laughs> there is a way in which we are to live. And Jesus is laying it out clearly. Go to Mark chapter 10. Woo! Mark chapter 10. We read this the other week. But I can't get away from it. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. It's the account of the rich man. And yet, though his testimony of this is he's a rich man. But I want you to think, it doesn't have just to be wealth. It's just someone who, who thinks they have it all. Or maybe they don't have it all together, but they're so living for themselves. See, apart from Christ, we, that's what we do. We just, we're selfish. We live for ourselves. We think we have it all together. I mean, have you ever met someone, <laughs> oh Lord, who talks like they have it all together, but then you see their lives and you go, what? There's so many people living in a false reality. Remember what I've always told you. The greatest deception is not that you're deceiving others. It's that you deceive yourself. You actually think you're living in a way that you conjured up in your head, but your life reflects something totally different. And you're okay with it. What? Because others are on the outside going, what kind of craziness is that? And we don't say anything, but we just talk about them behind their backs. <laughs> And that's not what we're supposed to be doing. Christians don't do that. No, you need to love them. Minister to them. But the moment they call themselves Christians, you better be, by God, better hold them up. Turn the mirror towards them. The Word of God is your mirror. You look intently in it, the book of James says. Don't be like that man who looks intently in it and then closes it and turns away and forgets. His position is in Christ, his identity. You're not just to be hearers of the word, you're supposed to be doers of the word. And we don't want to deceive ourselves into thinking that we're something when we're not. You don't want to promote yourself this and this and this and that and then, what? So this man came to Jesus. And there's a lot of people today who come to Jesus. They come to church. 
They want to feel better about themselves. Life is rough, or maybe life is good. Maybe I'll just try a little religion. And they come with their own purpose. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, verse 17, a man came running up to him, knelt down. Now understand this. It's, 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 it's very, on the outside, it's like, oh, wow. Wow, look at that. Look at him. Like, he's running up to Jesus. And now he's kneeling down. A sign of, of respect. And asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Oh, he's a... Just, if we just stop there, we go, Oh, wow, this young man. Oh, he's so passionate about, about the things of God. He, he, he's humbling himself before Jesus. Oh, look, he's, he even uses the right terms. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You see, even though he has it all together, there's still something awakening in, within him. He knows there's more to this life, just like everyone else, you all. See, we're either pursuing things of this earth to fulfill us, which they never can. You see, there's an awakening in each, every man, boy, girl, woman, that there's something missing. And so we go searching for it. We just want to be whole. Only in Christ. Can you be whole? Nothing missing, nothing broken. Are you living out of his wholeness? Are you still living out of your brokenness? Because I refuse to be broken any longer. See, when I came to Christ, I said, Lord, I I don't want to be plagued in my heart and my mind. I don't want to be the victim of abuse anymore. I don't want to be the victim of being sexually abused. I don't want to be the victim of being emotionally abused. I don't want to be the victim. I don't want to be the victim. And Jesus says, you won't any longer. Because I've healed you. Allow me to show you how to think now. How to live now. It's all new, you all. But it's a process. It's a process of every day, even after 20-something years walking with the Lord. It's a process to choose this day whom I will serve. Because that little boy back over here screams at me every day. Look back over here. Look how they treated you. Look what they did to you. Guard your heart in, in, in a way that's not appropriate. And I can listen to the wounded boy. (laughs) Or I can turn to him and tell him, no, 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 you're healed. Jesus healed me. I didn't heal myself. I don't look to the little boy and say, I took the 12 steps to be healed. (laughs) No, no, no. I say, Jesus healed me. Your voice is not the one I'm following any longer. I'm healed. I'm whole. I choose to live out of wholeness today. Are you choosing to live out of wholeness that you found in Christ? 
Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I am the life, I'm the only way to God, he says. Not Buddha, not Buddha, not Muhammad, not this, not that, not that man, not that woman, <laughs> not those possessions. I'm the only way. And for the many years that we've rebelled against him, when that is revealed to us, we can't help but step through him and say, thank you, Lord. Are you worshiping him? Are you praising him? Do you see him for who he is? He is the glorious king of kings and the Lord of lords. And this young man comes running to him, kneels down before him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus says, why do you call me good? See, he's exposing his heart. Jesus knows your reasons for coming to him. And he'll always expose them. He knew that that young man was not there for the sole purpose of Christ. He had other motives. Jesus asked, only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat anyone, honor your father and your mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. And looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. And I told you when I preached on this a while ago, underline that verse. Because yet though he came with the wrong motives, look, Jesus didn't stiff arm him. No, Jesus was so moved as he is with you, as he is with me, for ge with genuine love. You see, he's not going to force you to respond to him. Remember... <laughs> Jesus had the crowd of people, thousands of people following him. And then he turns around and he says to them, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. He begins to lay out this understanding, this spiritual understanding of truly who he is. You see, all along he was meeting their temporal needs. And they were so moved by that. Thousands of people were following him. And the Bible calls them his disciples. They were hanging around. They were so enthralled in all his ways of teaching and the way he performs miracles and met their needs. But Jesus himself knew that wasn't his sole purpose. His purpose was to die for them. To be raised up on the third day. To defeat sin and death. And so he tells them, well, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And they go, what? <laughs> they begin to talk amongst themselves. What is he saying? What kind of strange teaching is this? And they work themselves up in a frenzy. And you remember what the Bible said? They left. Thousands of them left. Where did they go? Back to their old life. You see, that's all you have to go back to. That's why we're not shocked when someone who calls himself a Christian ends up back to where they came from. 
Because where else are they going to go? That's all you got is what's behind you. But Jesus looked at the twelve. And remember, I always tell you when I preach on this, if I was writing the Bible, that's where I would write Jesus wept. <laughs> oh, no, no, he didn't weep. And, 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 and take it in consideration, too. He didn't run after them, throw himself in front of them, and tell them, don't leave, don't leave. I'll dump down my message and make it easy for you. No, he didn't do that. He stood there. He didn't even weep. He watched them all turn away from him. And then how does he respond? He looks at the 12 and says, are you going to? It's your choice. Are you going to? But is it too hard for you? Are you going to? Remember what they said. Where, where can we go? You hold the words to eternal life. And that's the mark of a true Christian. You hold the words to eternal life. Where am I going to go? What am I going to do? Go back and be that little boy? Wounded, broken, giving himself to anyone and anything? Where am I going to go? Back to the drugs, to the alcohol, back to the bad attitudes? Back to this, back to that? Where am I going to go? Where are you going? You see, either you're moving forward or you're going backwards. And if you're going backwards, if the pattern of you is going backwards, then I, oh God, I plead that today you will stop and you will come to a place of reality, of truth, of who Christ is and declare boldly, you hold the words to eternal life. Where can I go? Lead me and I'll follow. And don't forget, one of the twelve among them was Judas. Even Judas. Where can I go? Following Christ. Even up to the point of the table, the Last Supper. The disciples, what? There's one among us that's going to... To, to, to deceive you? To, 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 to betray you? Who? 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 And they're all worked up over it. And he says, the one I, I dip the bread into and give to, uh, that's your betrayer. They didn't even notice who he gave it to. And then he tells Judas, go do what you've got to do. You see, he knows the intent of the heart of those who are claiming to be his. You're not fooling anyone. Remember that deception I was telling you about? The greatest deception is that you deceived yourself into thinking. You are, but you aren't. And how can you tell that you aren't? Look at your life. This young man came. Jesus laid it all out. And then he says, Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done. He told him, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Oh, the man was a good man. There's good moral people on this earth. Oh, but Jesus gets right to the heart of the matter. You see, he doesn't play games. 
He doesn't sing kumbaya. Let's all gather hands and woohoo. Oh, no, no, no. He gets right to the heart of the issue. And notice Jesus didn't tell him he didn't keep these commandments. He didn't, he didn't fight back with the man. The man was probably a very good moral person. His problem was he wasn't coming to Jesus on the right terms. He was coming for himself. He wanted to hold on to his things. He wanted to hold on to his relationships. I'm not going to let it go. I'm not going to let him go. I'm not going to let him go. I'm not going to let them go. No. Oh, God, truly you're not asking me this, are you? Jesus says, let it go. And when you let it go, then come and follow me. He doesn't tell the man, okay, I'm going to tell you what you need to do. Now you're following me. You can, you can classify yourself as my disciple. You can classify yourself as one that follows me. Oh, no, 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 no. Do this. Let it go and then come. Let it go and then come. Do you see the urgency of the hour and the day that we're living in? People are living however they want and they want to slap Jesus on their lives. God help us. God help us. It's not easy. I'm not painting a picture that it's easy. It's going to cost you. <laughs> and I don't say it because, oh it's, oh, it's a spiritual thing to say. No, I have to live it. Take nothing with you. Leave him. But I love him, Lord. <laughs> oh no, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? Who am I going to be? Wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> These are honest conversations. I too. What am I going to do? Like, this is going to change Everything about me. Everything I thought I was since a little boy. <laughs> um, I don't know. And he loved me enough to let me wrestle with it. But there came a day. What's your decision? Show me in your word. Show me in your word. And he takes me to Romans 6. What then shall I say? Shall I continue to sin so that grace may abound? Certainly not. Don't you know that those who have died with him have been raised up with him into a new life? And I want to cling to the old way? To the old man? Because I'm worried about what my life is going to become? Ah! What worries are keeping you from following Christ? Because those are your God. That ought not to be you all. He loves us. He loves us. At this, verse 22, the man's face fell and he went away sad 
for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them, but Jesus said again, Dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for the rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Have you ever thought that when you hear the gospel preach? Well, how on earth then? How can anyone be saved? How am I going to be? What on earth? Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God, everything is possible. That's the hope, you all. That is the hope that we find in Christ. Salvation. Humanly, it's not possible. But with God, it's possible. But salvation is not to be taken lightly. The message is not just to be this light message. You must consider the cost. You must know whom you belong to now. There's so much joy. Again, the Christian life is not this weird life. It's a life filled with purpose. It's a life filled with power. It's a life filled with joy, unspeakable joy. I've had this amazing opportunity to disciple this young guy who was bound by all types of lust and perversion and religion. And I have watched him over these past months become a new man right before my eyes. The leadership that is overseeing me with this young man, they are amazed at what God has done. And I met with him last week, and I tell you, I was like, the the joy that is in this man, the freedom that is in this man, the love of Jesus that is in this man. I said, God, this is what it's to be. To see the captive set free. See the captives set free. And not everyone is going to want freedom, you all. Unfortunately, the Bible tells us the path to heaven, the road to heaven, is very narrow. Not many people are on it. The road to hell is wide. To know him is to love him. And to love him is to then make him known so that others would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ to live with with a hope and a future. Young man stepped into my office on Friday and he says, Rob, this, and he lays out this plan that God gave him to reach his community, to, 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 to impact his church. He met with his pastor. His pastor was so moved by what God was showing this young man to begin in their church and in their community. As he walked out, I just had tears in my eyes. And I was like, God, that is so beautiful. In a week that was a very discouraging week, in a week that was just like, oh, God. 
It ended by going, oh God, how great are you? How great are you, Lord? Listen, God is good, you all. And God is great. We're going to close with this final scripture today. I could go on, but we're going to stop. We're going to have part two next week. John chapter 4. So read, you got two more weeks to read about numbers. John 4. I want you to see the difference. And then we're closing. We just read this, this account of Jesus. It's going to be John chapter 4, verse 4. This is where we're starting. We just read this account of this young man who had an encounter with Jesus, but turned his own way. And now we're going to end on this incredible testimony of the Samaritan woman. Remember, she was a loose woman. Many men in her life. She was not living a life that was honoring God. She was running amok. She was doing her thing. And Jesus even knew that she was shacking up. And Jesus met her right where she was. And remember, I, every time I read about her, I'm so moved by this. Trust me, she was out by herself getting the water. So that tells you right then and there, the other women wanted nothing to do with her. Because there were certain hours of the day that the women would gather and they would go to get water with each other. This woman was by herself. The shame that she must have been living in. The guilt and her, her tormented mind. That she was nothing. She was nothing but a loose woman. The, the city and the town talk, I'm sure, about her. They had nothing good to say. And when she walked through that city, she had to walk with her head down. Can you picture it? Have you been there? Are you there? <laughs> because Jesus met her right where she was. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to, to, to the Samaritan village of Sychar. Near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. Remember the Samaritans. Back then, they were what they called the half-breeds. The Jews were very prejudiced against the Samaritan people. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. So here's Jesus, a Jewish man, all alone, talking to a Samaritan woman, going against everything that custom says. The woman was surprised 
For Jews refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? It's interesting that she throws up her identity to him. Have you done that with God? I have. Uh, Do you not know who I am? And why are you telling me or talking to me? Like, surely. Like, one of my favorite songs is Worlds Apart by Jars of Clay. Oh, it's a beautiful song. You never listen to it. Go listen to it. It talks about that internal struggle of this is how I'm living and, and, and why are you trying to reveal yourself to me? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know how bad I am? Don't you know what I've done and what I'm doing? Like our worlds are totally worlds apart and yet you're speaking to me? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you, And who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals (laughs) and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon be thirsty again. But those who drink the water I will give, I'm sorry, I give, will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Oh, you understand that she's not really grasping everything yet. She's still pushing back. <laughs> and then notice what she does. I don't know if you ever noticed it. But listen to what she said. Give me this water. Because then I wouldn't have to return back here. And I'm not saying this is where she's speaking out of, but I can relate to her. Give me this water. So I won't have to do that walk of shame every day. I won't have to face the issues of my life. See, she was missing what Jesus was saying. She she was pushing back. And look, she says, I won't have to come here to get water. And Jesus says, Go and get your husband. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the man you're living with. You certainly spoke truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. Now understand, now now, now the discussion's turning. And understand, notice she didn't get offended. Do you see this? Oh, she could have got offended. Oh, you're just like everyone else. Calling me a loose woman. Judging me. Saying things. Uh, She could have reacted like most people do. How dare you say that to me? How dare you? He was a strange man. He was a Jew who custom says he already looked down on her, though Jesus didn't. But Jewish people, that's how they looked at the Samaritans. I mean, she could have just freaked out. No, no, no. Something awakens within her. 
You see what didn't awaken within the young man. Awoke. Became, uh, uh, something was awakened where she woke up. All of a sudden her eyes were opening. You must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it to be Mount Persium? where our ancestors worship. And Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while we Jews know all about him. For, our, for salvation comes through the Jews, but the time is coming indeed. It's here now. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, the Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. The one who is called Christ, when He comes, He will explain everything to us. All of a sudden, their conversation turns into a spiritual conversation. And she even has the knowledge of the Messiah. She's heard. There's going to come one who's going to set us free. She's a Samaritan believing in, in the Jewish Messiah. Remember, God's plan all from the beginning is not just for the Jews. It's for everyone. It started with the Jews. But his plan was for all to be blessed and to receive Remember, God said to the serpent, I, there's going to come one who's going to crush your head. The Messiah. He's coming. And as we're working through the Old Testament, we're seeing, weaving in and out, the prophecies of Jesus, the prophecy of the one, the one, the great one, that will come forth, destroy sin and death, and defeat the enemy. You see, your enemy is under your feet. If you're in Christ. Your circumstances are under your feet. When you're in Christ. She had heard of the Messiah. And she has had believed. That when he comes. <laughs> he will explain everything to us. And it's the first time in scripture. That Jesus reveals himself to a loose woman, to a Samaritan, and he's alone with her. Ah, oh, you're, you're going against all the customs, Jesus. Jesus doesn't care about man's customs. Jesus cares about the eternity of souls. And look, then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then, oh, look who comes back. The disciples come back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? The woman left, look at this, her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone. All right, so first we see her walking the walk of shame by herself, to the well. 
You see what the encounter of Jesus just did to her? I've always told you I get this picture. I wish I, was, I could paint or draw. All of a sudden, her countenance is uplifted, her whole body is up, her head is up, and now she's running back to the town who looked down on her, who probably judged her the majority of her life. She doesn't have a good reputation. And look what she says. She's telling them, Come and see a man who told me everything I did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Come and see this man who has read my book, who said everything about me. And you know this town was probably looking at this woman going, So the people came streaming from the village to see him. There's a man talking with her. There's a man who's told her about herself. And she's this elated. She's this giddy. She's this happy. She's different. Oh, it woke something up in them. Could you imagine if others will see the impact that Christ has had on your life? Go forth and tell others. They should see uh, there's something different. You're not going to be perfect. Don't, don't let perfection be your goal. It's transformation. Daily transformation. Daily maturing. Daily growing. Like something's different about you. Oh, and that's what I tell you. You don't need a 12-week course on to evangelize. You tell others about Jesus when you know him. You don't need to know front and back, left and right. You just need to share what Jesus is doing in your life, who he is. Your transformed life will impact others. These people came out. And meanwhile, while this is going on, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. And look at them. <laughs> Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Didn't Jesus explain, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are ready ripe. With for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants and another harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. You are to be about the Father's business, planting seeds, watering them. Ultimately, the Lord is going to harvest. You're to be about the Father's business. Look, he says, the harvest is ripe. And the natural eyes, you can look at the world and say, oh no, it looks pretty bleak. It looks pretty dark. 
Oh, but get out of the natural eyes because when you see such a resistance coming against the gospel, oh, the harvest is right because people are stirred up to talk about spiritual things. And you need to be out there talking to people about spiritual things. Get to know them. Listen to them. Share with them. Pray for them. Encourage them. And don't you wander or, 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 or be tossed back and forth or be moved by false teaching. No, you stand firm in what you know and who you know. Have conversations because the fields are ripe, but the harvesters are few. Then we end. Verse 39, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to him, they begged him to stay in their village. It's funny, don't miss these little things because every Jewish village he was going into, they chased him out. Here the Samaritans, please stay, 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 stay. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Not just hear, but to believe. And belief comes, results in obedience. You can't say you believe and not obey because you really don't believe. They believed. And then look how it ends here. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. A whole village, you all, a whole town came to Christ because of one broken woman. who had an encounter with Jesus. That's what it's about. To know him is to love him. You're one or the other. Either the rich man or the Samaritan woman. You're responding one way or another. And you say, ah, but this is almost like the same message, just maybe different scriptures. We've heard this before. But my answer to that is then, what have you done with it? Because here we are yet again, and my heart is burdened to share this with all of us. To say we have to wake up. Like we have to. Like there's an urgency in our day and in our age. We are alive for a purpose. We must share the good news. We must live lives that are honoring God. We must truly believe and we must truly be discipled. Like if you're not being discipled, you're going to wander off. The enemy knows what to do. If he can isolate you, if he can push you out, if he can keep you back, But no one can force you to be discipled. I tell you the other night when you and I were together, Doreen, well, we had church. 
That Monday night we sat down, I've never met anyone so hungry for the Word of God. If you haven't had time to sit down with Doreen, make time to. Like we had church. We were both so giddy afterwards. I was tired. I was sick. But I said, I can't cancel again on her. I don't want to cancel on her. So I endured. But let me tell you, by the time we finished, I wasn't sick anymore. I wasn't tired. All of a sudden, we both were just as giddy as heaven. Rejoicing. Praying. Worshiping. I said, what? We could have kept going on all night. To be discipled is vital for your growth. If you're not being discipled, you're not growing. And if you're not growing, (laughs) you're going to be tossed by every form of teaching that is presented to you. You must get grounded. You must let your roots, as the Bible says, grow down deep in Him. Is it an easy process? No. But is it worth it? Yes. Yes, you all. He is the painter. We are the canvas. Let him do as he pleases. Because in the end, we are his masterpiece. That's so beautiful, you all. It's not what we have done for ourselves, but it's what he has done. that wholeness that comes. So if you're broken today, you don't have to remain broken. If you're still running amok and living amok, you don't have to run amok and live amok. Just come to Jesus with a sincere heart. He is speaking as he spoke to the woman at the well. You can respond and say, yeah, this is who I am. And he says, I know who you are. But I have something greater for you. Like, I don't see you for who you are. I see you for how I've created you. Remember, he has created you. He knows you. He knows the plans that he has for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future, you all. This is our God. This is our God. And if you're not in relationship with him, then I don't know what you're waiting for. I don't. And I don't know why you would choose just to hold a form of religion and not really experience the power of transformation. (laughs) There's so much more that he has for us. And it's my prayer today that you would be encouraged to get up from this place and to go forward. Stop going backwards. Go forward. Today can be a new day. But put your trust and your hope in Him. I'm going to close this with this song and then I'll close this in prayer.
by you Before I took a breath When I doubted, Lord, remind me I'm wonderfully made You're an artist and a potter I'm the canvas and the clay And you make all things work together for my future and for my good. You make all things work together for your glory and for
You're not finished with me. 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 You're